Great, let's turn to the book of Romans again. Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to read from the first verse in chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We started to look at this last week. I happened to notice that uh, on our website, uh, last Sunday's message was uh, labeled as Romans 1 verses 1 to 7. You must be joking. It was Romans 1 verse 1. We didn't leap as far as verse 7. Um, We just looked at verse 1 and we're going to look at verse 2 today. I'll just start to look at verse 2. It did occur to me last week that there will be very young children here, sort of five or less, that when you are seriously old, like 25, just as we come to the end of chapter 16, you will think, I was there at the beginning. (laughs) Take notes, remember it. You were there at the beginning. So we began to look last week how Paul introduces himself uh, in very striking terms. He introduces who he is, he gives his name, obviously, describes his, his status, a slave of Christ, and then what he lives for, what, is, what it's all about. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You see, incidentally, that he focuses on what God has called him into, and he doesn't say anything about what God has called him out of. He is aware, obviously, of his past, but what thrills him and what what he lives for is what God has called him into. It's sad when people very often are telling their story, we call it giving their testimony, that they will tend, perhaps, to say more about what they've come out of than what they've come into. It's almost like, well, the exciting days were back then, but now I'm a Christian. Hopefully, that's not how we think. But for Paul, the past is shameful. Forget it. Forgetting what's behind, he's reaching out for what's ahead. And he's a slave of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for God's gospel. And in these early verses, Paul is setting out, really indicating themes that are going to be developed later on as he works through this letter. He's speaking here, right at the start, about Jesus, the Messiah. He's speaking about God's call, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. We saw last week, he says, he's set apart from birth, right through his previous history. There was that decree from heaven what was going to happen to him. And all those years, God was patiently waiting for the right time to call him, change his life. 
And so we see about God's call. We see indications then about God is sovereign over our lives. God's wonderful grace that even though we deserve nothing and fight against him still, he intervenes and calls us into something good. And then this word gospel, set apart for the gospel. And that was at the end of verse 1. Verse 2 then picks that up and says some more about the gospel. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. God's gospel set apart for God's gospel. Now, of course, this word gospel is one with which we are familiar. And it is, for us, a specifically kind of Christian word. The gospel means the story of Jesus, how you're saved, and so on. What we need to understand is that Paul is not just inventing a new word. This was a word that it was in general use in his day, and it is not, therefore, a specifically Christian word. It's a word that had a very specific meaning, it's, it's about an announcement, and the word would be used in many different contexts, but uh, perhaps more f- most famously, the, an imperial announcement. When the emperor had something to announce to the empire, and a more specific use of the word would be when there's an imperial announcement about the birth of an heir to the emperor. This is national news. And there's the sense of it being good news. It's an announcement of something exciting. That's what the word that's translated gospel means. It was a word then that was in current use, not a specifically Christian word. It's a word of an important, exciting announcement. And that's the word that Paul is using here when he speaks about God's gospel, God's announcement. Our word gospel is actually an Anglo-Saxon word, one of the few Anglo-Saxon words that are in polite use now, uh, and it, it, speaks of, uh, it, it, it speaks of a good story or a God story. God and good are both the same word in Anglo-Saxon, and it's, it's God's story. I'll just throw that in because I studied Anglo-Saxon for three years, I might as well make a bit of use of it. That's the end of it. Uh, and... <laughs> So it's God's story, God's announcement, an exciting announcement. And here, it's God's announcement about His Son. God's gospel, the gospel He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son. God has an announcement to make. God's got something He wants people to know about. God's got a proclamation And the proclamation is Jesus. That's his announcement to a waiting world. Just as the emperor would make a proclamation concerning the birth of an heir to the throne or whatever, God's got an announcement. And it says about this announcement that he announced it beforehand. He promised it beforehand. It says he promised it beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Right from the beginning of time, God has been announcing this message about Jesus. And so right back at the beginning, it's, it's often called the, 
the, the, the prototype of the gospel, as it were, in Genesis 3 and verse 15, when Adam and Eve have shamefully disobeyed God, didn't have to, in a wonderful environment, but there the devil comes and seduces them and they disobey God, and God pronounces judgment on the devil at that point, and he says to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. There's the first proclamation of the offspring of the woman. It's only with then the passing of time that we understand who this is speaking about. This is speaking about Jesus, the offspring of the woman, who is going to crush the devil's head. You will strike his heel. There's the first announcement. But God kept announcing this right through the Old Testament. We're not going to look at all the references. There are so many. But Paul says, through his servants, the prophets. Look, let's look at some of the things that the prophets said. Isaiah chapter 7. These are verses, obviously, that are often read around Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign... The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now that had a fulfillment in the day when Isaiah is saying it, but it's going beyond that immediate fulfillment to something that Isaiah would never have understood and those who are listening to Isaiah would never have understood. But it's pointing forward. The Lord is going to give a sign, a virgin with child whose name is God with us, Emmanuel. God announcing his son. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Again, a proclamation through the prophet, God promising beforehand, one who's going to come, who is a king forever. Government on his shoulders, and there'll be no end of the increase of his government and peace. A king reigning on David's throne. Again, what does it mean? Well, it's pointing forward to Jesus. And then one of the lesser known prophets, the prophet Micah. Micah and uh, Chapter 5, verse 2, Micah says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, or from eternity. You, Bethlehem, someone's going to come from you, who is from eternity, who is going to rule 
Again, the people who are hearing that would think, what's that about? Well, we know what it's about. The gospel, the announcement, that which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So God's got an announcement. God's got a proclamation. He announced it beforehand. And then, of course, when Jesus came, well, the announcements are many. God announced it through the angels. And again, a story we typically read at Christmas time in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. It speaks about the shepherds out in the field. The angel comes and the angel said, I bring you good news. There's that expression again. This, this proclamation, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I bring you good news, notice, of great joy. That's great joy and this idea of proclamation. The two ideas go together. This is not just like the news on, on, on the television, which is normally pretty depressing. Here is the news. Oh dear, do we really want this? No, this is something exciting. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The shepherds hear that. They go to investigate what they've been told. And the response, they return glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. A wonderful announcement that brought great joy to them. Because it's a, 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 an exciting message that brings joy. The writer to the Hebrews refers back to that in Hebrews chapter 1 about this announcement, Hebrews 1 and verse 6, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. This is an exciting announcement. Let the angels join in. The, the song of joy, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. God's announcement. Then the baby Jesus grows. And... Then there's a man sent from God, John the Baptist. And he comes with the announcement. He comes to add to this proclamation in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16. John said, I baptize you with water. But one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So here's the announcement again. God's sending a forerunner. God's sending a herald now who is bringing the imperial announcement. There's one coming after me. I'm baptizing you in water. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. There's the proclamation. And then he sees Jesus. Jesus comes to him and is baptized by him. And we read then another excited announcement. Luke 3 verse 22. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God can't stop announcing his son. Right from Genesis all the way through. The proclamation goes out of heaven. This is my son. Beforehand, He's announced, he's coming. Then the, the angels sing the song. He's come. 
John the Baptist says, there's one coming after me. Then the voice out of heaven. This is him. This is him. I love him. Listen to him. Announced by, this is God's good news. God's gospel. And the substance of God's announcement is, it says, concerning his son, regarding his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The substance of his delighted, excited announcement is Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Son of God. Now what I want us to see this morning is that this announcement, this gospel is good news and it's connected with, associated with, great joy. Why I say that is that it's possible for us, if we've been Christians for any length of time, if you just ask the question, what's the gospel? We could put some words together, I hope. We could put some words together about what is the gospel. We know the facts. We know the facts about our sin and and our rebellion against God. We know that God sent his son, that Jesus died in our place. He rose again. He died Suffering for our sin by accepting him as a saviour, we can be saved. I think there are the points we're saying, one, two, three, I think I've got it, that, that's the gospel. So it's all very much in our minds. We know the facts. We teach our children maybe four important things. They, they know these things and we want them to know. But it's missing something. What it's missing is excitement. What it's missing is a sense, this is good news. You see how God can't stop the proclamation coming. God is thrilled with this. It's God's proclamation. Right back at creation, he announces it. And he kept announcing it through the prophets. It's like he can't keep this one a secret. And then when finally Jesus is born, the back of beyond, in a manger, no room for him, but angels burst through. They can't keep quiet about this. Glory to God in the highest. This is good news. This is God's proclamation of great joy. And it's always associated with joy. So I guess what I want to say is, have we still got hold of that? Have we ever got hold of it? Ginny brought that word about coming out of darkness. But into what? And we can be aware we're saved. We've kind of come out. But into what? Have we understood the great joy that we've come into? We've come into something that God says, this is good news. This is a proclamation like no other. This changes everything. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It's amazing. The contrast with what was. It is exciting. Well, you all just stare at me. I'm going to keep going till someone smiles, I tell you. (laughs) Thank you, I'll stop. No, I won't. God, God wants us to get hold of the joy of this. Now, why, why, why should we be happy about it? Well, not just because someone tells us to be happy. We're given reasons here. This gospel is regarding his son who, as to his human nature, it says, was a descendant of David. Now, I don't want to make this complicated. I want to make it simple. But in simplifying it, I've got to say, 
this translation is not particularly helpful. And just to head off the smug people who have the ESV, the ESV isn't helpful either. I enjoyed saying that. It's, it's a hard verse to translate. And so the translators have done their best with it. And to try to turn it into kind of English that, that makes sense. But in doing so, they've missed some of the, the structure of what Paul says. And what Paul, Paul speaks about, he, to give a kind of literal translation of verse 3. It would go something like that. With regard to the body, he became, and so on, and with regard to the spirit, he was appointed. With regard to the body, this. With regard to the spirit, that. With regard to the body, he became. With regard to the spirit, he was appointed. That's actually what, what it's saying, and then it's translated in this way, in a way that I would say is not particularly helpful. So we're going to work with the Bell translation this morning, which the world is still waiting for, but who knows, one day it will be on the bookstore. With regard to the body, what it's talking about here is that Jesus has, first of all, human ancestry. He is a real human being. Jesus did not appear out of nowhere. It's not that suddenly, around Galilee, a man appeared. No, He's born, and he had ancestors. He was, it says, a descendant of David. Or, more literally, he became from the seed of David. Or he came as the seed of David. And, of course, that was the promise. Back in the Old Testament, a son of David. Indeed, back in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. God's promise to David, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father. He shall be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Clearly, that is referring initially to David's son, Solomon. One who is going to build a house for God... And one who, when he did wrong, was going to get punished for it and so on. The first application of that is Solomon. But it clearly goes beyond Solomon. Because it speaks about his throne being established forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. And it's like a kind of telescoping of history. And the, the distant is brought close. And so we see in one word, it's referring to Solomon. But beyond that, a seed of David who's going to have a throne that lasts forever. And that, of course, is Jesus. 
of the seed of David. Or as it says, he was a descendant of David. Again, the prophets have spoken about that. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, the wonderful words. Uh, remember that David's father was, had the name Jesse. It says here, a shoot will, will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and so on. This is the one who's going to come out of that stump. When Isaiah is prophesying, David's house is no more, just a stump. And it says, but from that stump, this lifeless stump that refers to something that once was, and it's all been cut down, David's house, the whole thing, it's gone. Just that, that, that remnant, that relic of glory days. But from that, the prophet says, a shoot's going to come. And from this stump, this shoot will come, and the Spirit of the Lord, the fullness of the Spirit, resting on him. And he's going to bring in a whole new age. Isaiah says, this is Jesus. He is promised beforehand through the prophets. And with regard to the body or with regard to the flesh, he came as the seed of David. He, he, he has human ancestry and he is a real human being. That is the point. He's not God disguised as a man. He's a real human being. People have problems with this. People who don't believe in Jesus, as, or have faith in Jesus, who just think, yeah, he existed once, they see him simply as a man. He was a man and no more. Christians who have passionate faith in Jesus are more likely to go the other way. He's God, and they find it hard to think of him as a real human being needing to go to sleep, needing to eat, getting thirsty, and so on. And you think of what it means to be human. You think, oh, no, 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 he's, he's on the throne, which he is. But we can go towards the divine end of the spectrum. People who don't have faith in him will see him simply as a human being. We need to see what Paul is saying here. He's a real human being. Human ancestors, human birth, a human being. But it says, he became of the seed of David. In other words, he had always existed. And he came, born as a baby, a little child, with that ancestry behind him, growing as a real human being. But he came. He had always been. God became man. So this is part of the announcement. God's good news, God's gospel, God's proclamation. It's about his son, born of David's line, eternally God, who became what he had not been before. He became a human being. Always existed, but coming to earth. And that's the first part of the announcement. And that is the first thing that is, is just wonderful. Wonderful if you think about it. Because here we have God becoming a human being. What do we know about human beings? They've rebelled against God. The whole human race has rejected God. They rejected God right at the beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve refused to do what God said and all their offspring have gone the same way. And it is normal 
to reject God. It's one of these things that is born into us. I was, I was saddened, but also not entirely surprised. Here's something just this week about one of my grandsons. He is quite open at school about the fact he believes in God and he goes to church. Now, the rising generation know nothing about church, know nothing about God, know nothing about any of it. You'd have thought then there would be no prejudice because I don't know anything about this. But he is getting relentlessly persecuted because he goes to church. You think, why? When people know nothing about it, why do they still attack? Well, because it's born in them. They don't have to know anything about it. They will be hostile. The Bible says that. All humanity, hostile towards God. It's natural. It always will be. People, it's not a level playing field. People don't have a neutral view of these things. It is born in us to be hostile to God. That's the human scene. And God then comes as a human being among people who hate him. It's amazing. God could have turned his back on the whole show. God could have just left us to our own ends. Instead, he comes. God becoming a human being. To live amongst us, suffering, being spat at, being flogged, being relentlessly criticized, misrepresented, finally killed. It's amazing. This is God's gospel. This is not now the emperor saying an heir to the throne has been born. This is, this is an amazing message. God becoming one of us for that purpose. To actually take our sin, our hostility towards God, to take it on himself and become, as it were, a sinner. With our sin now on him, he becomes responsible, he takes responsibility for our accumulated hostility to God. And he says, Father, I will take the punishment. And he's punished in our place. It's an amazing, amazing announcement. God's son. No wonder the father says, this is my son whom I love. The plan is conceived in heaven. And the son says, I'll do it. Why did he do it? Because he loved us, but mainly because he loved his father. And he said, I delight to do my father's will. And God united in that purpose of saving us. That's God's good news. But it goes on. With regard to the flesh, with regard to the body, he became of the seed of David. And then verse 4, again, needs to be kind of unraveled from the translation. With regard to the spirit of holiness, appointed Son of God with power by the resurrection. It's a rather different structure from the NIV and from the ESV. <laughs> no points can be scored by either party. In the NIV, it says the little words with power are attached to declared. Declared is not a good word. It should be appointed. And with power should be connected with Son of God. So a better translation. With regard to, or in the realm of the Spirit, appointed Son of God with power by the resurrection 
from among the dead. Notice how Paul carefully chooses his words. Jesus became of the seed of David. He didn't become son of God. He had always been son of God from eternity. It's not like at the resurrection he becomes the son of God, always the son of God, but appointed son of God with power. What changed at this point? Eternally the son, but up to this point as Jesus of Nazareth, son of God, but son of God in weakness. Son of God in what the theologians call in humiliation. Paul later, uh, we read about it in in Philippians when he expresses the, the mystery and wonder of what Jesus has done. It says, being found in appearance as a man, Philippians 2, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. There's the, son, there's the Son of God in weakness. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Humbling himself then as a man. Not having become a man saying, hey, I'm a king. But when he realized the full extent of the fact he'd come from God and was going back to God, what was his response? He got down and washed his disciples' feet. That's Jesus in weakness. Jesus, the servant, then taken by the the mob, flogged mercilessly to the point where he was too weak to carry the cross. There's the Son of God in weakness, nailed on a cross by people he created, hoisted up into that position to die in weakness. The Son of God in weakness. And all through his life, the son of God in weakness. You might say, wait a minute, he did amazing miracles. Yeah, but he did those miracles as the son of God in weakness. That then, nothing. Remember how Jesus said, so I'm going back to the Father. Because I'm going back to the Father, you'll do greater things than these. What he did, he's doing in weakness. The servant, humiliated, despised, rejected by men, man of sorrows, That's Jesus, the Son of God, in weakness. Now, the good news goes on, however. With regard to human nature, with regard to the body, yes, he's a descendant of David, but with regard to the spirit of holiness, with regard to the realm of the spirit, declared or appointed Son of God with power. At the resurrection... Everything changed. The resurrection means the victim becomes the victor. He's no longer now vulnerable to people. He is no longer now able to be attacked or killed again. He has risen. And at the resurrection, now he's got a new name. Son of God with power. He's invincible. He's defeated death. He's dealt with our sin. He's risen again to live forever. This is the Son of God with power. He's appointed Son of God with power by His resurrection. Previously cruelly treated, crucified. Now, He's alive, victorious, reigning forever. Paul expresses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He puts these two ideas together in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. He says of Jesus, to be sure... 
He was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Crucified in weakness, but he lives by God's power. Now, he is the Son of God with power. So God's good news is this. Jesus came. God became man. He lived amongst us, a real human being with ancestors and so on, a normal human birth. This is who he is, the Messiah. Wonderful. But it gets better. He's not just living according to the flesh now. He's not just in the realm of the flesh. In the realm of the Spirit now, a new age has come. Jesus came to bring us into the new age of the Spirit, the Spirit of holiness, now appointed Son of God with power. The resurrection demonstrates that nature... People refer to nature as as if it was a a creative force or whatever. But nature is not a closed system. See, people say, they, they know the laws of nature. And because they know the laws of nature, they say, well, clearly, resurrection can't happen. The laws of nature tell us, if you die, that is it. Life is extinct, you are no more. That is it. When you're dead you're dead. When all the signs of life are gone, brain death and so on, that is it. That's nature. A closed system, the laws of nature operate. The resurrection blows that to smithereens. You see, there are some who say because of the laws of nature, resurrection can't happen. This turns it round and says because of the resurrection, the laws of nature don't apply. And what realm are we living in? We're not living according to the flesh. We're living in the realm of the Spirit because of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus blows the laws of nature. Jesus is alive. And He's alive forever. It's not a closed system anymore. That's why Paul is thrilled with this. It's not just... A human story. It's about God intervening and just blowing all our preconceptions to the four winds. And that what was normal is no longer normal. What was inevitable is no longer inevitable. Because Jesus is alive. He's he's appointed Son of God with power. As a man in one place at a time, Operating, yes, in the power of the Spirit, but limited, vulnerable, killed. Now, he's everywhere. Now, he's on the throne. Now, he's got the power of an endless life. And he gives his Spirit to the church and ushers us into this new age. The age that he introduced at the point of the resurrection. When the stone rolled away and Jesus came out of the grave... Everything changed. A new age began, and we have been born again into that. Again, to pick up that word earlier, we've come out of darkness, but have we come into light? We've come out of guilt for our sin. We've come out of the fear of punishment. Yes, we've been saved, but into what? Paul's whole point is, God's got an announcement to make. God's pointing out His Son, 
His son is alive. And that changes everything. Which is why Paul says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He's thrilled with this because it's so powerful. This is not just a message. This is not just a belief system. This is not just facts that you learn parrot fashion so you can tell them to anyone who is interested. So they say, oh, I agree with that. It's, it's not about that. This is about power. This is about a whole new way of living, a whole new way of believing, a whole new range of expectations because Jesus is risen. It's God's good news. This is God's proclamation concerning His Son. The good news is, Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is not just a prophet. The baby of Bethlehem is the Son of God with power. Everything, therefore, has changed. Jesus' death and resurrection takes us from the natural with regard to the flesh. It takes us out of that realm into a whole new realm and with regard to the spirit. In the realm of the flesh, a descendant of David. But in the realm of the spirit of holiness, appointed son of God with power. Which realm are we living in then? Are we living in the realm of human nature? The realm of the body, the flesh? or in the realm of the spirit of holiness. The spirit who brings holiness, so that those things that we could never conquer before, we can now, because the spirit of holiness is in us, and we are in the realm of the spirit of holiness. But in that realm, Jesus is appointed Son of God with power. There's a king on the throne. So all expectations change. This is Paul's gospel. He said, set apart for God's good news. Set apart for God's gospel. This is what he lives for. He's not just changed his beliefs. He's not just going around telling people, I used to believe this and this, but now I believe this and this. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) No. He's not giving his life for just telling about his beliefs. He's possessed with the thrill of this. That everything changes. And you you get the passion there when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You see it in other places where he's writing, and it's like he's desperate for people to get hold of this. Do you remember what he writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, where he tells them how he's continually praying for them? And he says what he's praying in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 17, I keep asking, he says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He says, I'm praying That your eyes, that the lights will go on for you. That the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so you'll see it. The hope you've come into, this new realm you've come into, this 
wonderful inheritance and God's incomparably great power, which is not just out there to be admired, but great power which is for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when? When he raised him from the dead. That's the point. The resurrection changes everything. Nature is not a closed system. Now the supernatural is possible. We don't live in a closed system where the predictable, well, that's what we settle for. No, God has come. Jesus is alive. People can get healed. Demons can be expelled. Miracles can happen. Bondages, ways of thinking, habits smashed. Strongholds coming down. This is Paul's gospel. He's not interested in just telling doctrine. He's interested in what that doctrine produces. And the truth leads to things happening. It's God's good news. This is what Paul is living for. He's a slave of this. He's he's been bought by this gospel. And he's devoted to it. A slave of Christ Jesus. And it's this Jesus. The one who is son of God with power. Yes, the Jesus who was despised and rejected. The Jesus who was crucified. But he's not on the cross now. And he's not in the tomb now. He didn't even bother to unwrap the grave clothes. He just came out. He's Lord. And therefore, he has invincible power. Infinite power. And there is nothing too hard for him. And Paul is saying, that's the message. That's the announcement. And it's an announcement that Christians need because he says to these people that he is longing to see them and he is longing to preach the gospel to them, he says. Why does he want to preach the gospel to Christians? Well, because we need it. We need to hear this announcement. We need to have our closed world burst open. We need to start letting in the light of what is possible because Jesus is alive. We need to start not trying to screw up faith for miracles, but saying miracles are inevitable. Because Jesus is alive. It's not out there if only, if only we could get hold of a miracle. If only we could grasp out of healing. Jesus is alive. And therefore, anything can happen. It's simply believing who Jesus is. That's his message. He wants Christians to get hold of it, as well as preaching it to the unbeliever. But Christians need to hear it. There is nothing that's a match for the power of Jesus. There is nothing that's a match for his power. There is nothing that he looks at and says, sorry, can't do that one. There's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because he's the one who created all that exists. He's the one who put the stars in, in space. He's the one who calls things that are not and they become. He's never stumped. He's never frustrated or embarrassed. Sorry, can't do that. He's God, Son of God with power, saving, healing, delivering, demolishing strongholds, whatever. He's the Lord. So God's got an announcement to make. And God's got an announcement to make this morning. In a way, 
It's a one-word announcement. Jesus. Jesus. Who he is. Who he is. Not a baby in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. But Jesus, who is alive from the dead, who has broken out of this closed system of the rules and laws of nature, and he's God, son of God, with power. And it's for us who believe. This is good news for us, good news of great joy. Christianity is not a sad, miserable religion. The kingdom of God is about joy in the Holy Spirit because of the resurrection, because of who Jesus is. If we've reduced it to just what we believe and something that happened to us years ago, we have lost it. And we need to hear the announcement again. Hey, it's good news. It's good news for that problem that you think there's no way through. It's good news with regard to that condition from which you need to be healed. It's good news with regard to those people you long to see them saved, but they're so hostile. Paul was hostile, but the risen Jesus got him and turned him right round. There is nothing too hard for him. It's good news. And as we get hold of the good news, faith comes. It's not screwing up faith, but hey, I live in this new realm, the realm of the spirit of holiness. I once lived according to the flesh. Now the new age has been ushered in by the risen Jesus. The risen Jesus who is here now, backing up the announcement. Hey folks, I am alive. I once was dead, but I'm alive again. Now get hold of the implications. Anything can happen.